Hi, and welcome to the Quick and Dirty Romance Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Sky McDonald, author of Not Suitable for Work. And I'm Sarah Smith, author of Faker. Each episode, we'll dive deep into what it's like to be a contemporary romance author. We'll talk writing inspiration, give you the inside scoop about the publishing world, chat about how we write those infamous sex scenes, and more. And then we'll pull out and wrap it up in 30 minutes or less, but we promise to leave you satisfied. The theme of today's episode is, where'd you get that from? As romance authors, we're often asked what in our books comes from everyday life. But spoiler alert, real life isn't nearly as fantastic as a romance novel, not even for those of us who write them. But there are a couple of things that we've taken from our own experiences and incorporated into the books, so we want to tell you about them today. So Sarah, I beta read Faker long before it was published, loved Emmy and Tate even then, I've read it in its final gorgeous form and love them possibly even more now if that's possible. But as I've read it over and over, I did have to wonder about a couple of things. So I'm wondering what you're going to talk to us about today. Scenes, characters, anything. What comes to your mind when someone says to you, where'd you get that from? Well, first, thank you, Sky. You're so sweet. Thank you for loving Faker so much. That honestly means everything. So thank you. But um, okay, so yeah, there are two things that I definitely get the question Where'd you get that from? And um, the thing that I get asked that the most about, like, and this is the thing that I get the most DMs and questions from people, and it's why Tate is super pale. And it's not like, it's not some like amazing reason. It's not like some nefarious reason. It's just, it's, um, it's just this particular thing. So, um, I feel like, especially in romance, there's a particular um, aesthetic for uh, heroes, and it's tall, dark, and handsome a lot of the time. And mm. I and I love tall, dark, and handsome. Like, it's uh, super hot. I love it to the moon and back. Absolutely adore it. I love my tall, dark, and handsome heroes. But it also kind of <laughs> reminds me of my brothers, which sounds weird. But both of them are the epitome of tall, dark, and handsome. Like, whenever I go out with them, like, I always have to hear, like, oh, my God, your brothers are so handsome. Your brothers are so hot. Like, look at how tall, dark, and handsome they are. And it's, like, and it grosses me out. Like, it's, and, I, like and I don't mean that to be, like, a jerk. Like, it's just, it's just they're my brothers, you know? Like, I don't want to think of them as, like, super hot. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I and I think anybody with siblings can understand that. Hopefully, like I love my brothers, I would do anything for them, but I just don't want to think about them being like super hot or like people lusting after them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Fair like, enough. Yeah, like you, like you know, everybody has parents. You don't want to hear about your parents doing personal, intimate stuff like that along those lines. You know what I mean? No. Yes. And so when I was writing Faker, specifically when I was writing Tate, I needed to have him look different because I didn't want my brothers being in that headspace of me <laughs> writing like sex scenes and steamy things. Um, so I wanted to make him look like the opposite of, you know, my brothers. So, so that's why I went for 
pale and him having like, you know, like light features because that was the exact opposite of what my brothers were. And um, also I kind of feel like um, pale isn't normally like a feature that is thought of as like super sexy, I guess, in a lot of instances. <laughs> and I kind of wanted to see if I could make him be like, um, you know, if, if I could make him be this hot and sexy romance hero and still be pale in a way. So it was kind of like a challenge for myself as a writer. That's um, fair. I yeah. think, I don't, I don't know. To me, I think sexy is anything that you make it. So I really, I love that you brought in a different aesthetic to the genre. I think that's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I and I totally agree. Like, I think that, it, like, yeah, anything can be sexy. Any appearance on anyone can be sexy as long as, like, there's confidence in it and all, and all that good stuff. So, like, so that was, like, the first part of it. The, the other part of it was that, like, there, there was this person in real life who I sort of used as my, like, physical inspo for Tate. And that person is Errol Westerberg. And he's this um, fitness <laughs> expert from Finland and he's like super hot. And um, I, so I stumbled upon him because I was like looking for workout videos on YouTube. <laughs> and um, I found his workout videos randomly. And this guy is like insanely fit. Like this guy is like the, in the top 0.01% of like how in shape a human being can be. He's just like, he's just like amazing. And so, like, yeah, so he was, like, my physical inspo for Tate. And, like, um, I would watch his his workout videos, even though I wouldn't work out to them because I can't. But I would watch his workout videos. And, like, um, he, he was really, like, shy and soft-spoken and reserved personality. And that, like, like, I really liked that and that was really how I pictured Tate too. So he was just the, the, a really good, like real life go-to for me, um, for my writing inspiration, I guess. Like, and his aesthetic also fit really well with, with what I was trying to describe for Tate. So, so yeah. Um, sure. So, so yeah. a great aesthetic, insane workout videos yeah. and yeah. still finds the time to, <laughs> like your fangirl posts about him on Instagram, right? Oh my God. Yeah. That was really, um, yeah, that was really embarrassing. So I so, thought okay. it was amazing. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for thinking <laughs> because I think about it and I want to like crawl under something. So I, so yes. Yeah, so like, because people were like DMing me and messaging me like, Oh, what, you know, I'm having a hard time picturing Tate. Like, can you, you know, like, what what does he look like? And so like I, so I would link them to um, Errol Westerberg's fitness videos, um, and then I just I think I just was like okay well instead of like individually DMing everybody I'm just gonna I'm just gonna post this on Instagram. So I screenshotted a picture of him and mm -hmm. uh, put it up on Instagram because I honestly didn't I truly did not think that he would notice this because he's got like tens of thousands of Instagram followers. Like I just assume people who have that many followers, like they don't even check their notification. And I'm probably, obviously, I guess I was wrong, but like, I just, I just assume like they have other things to do. They're busy. So like I, you know, I tagged him in it and, um, 
I put it up there on Instagram and everyone was great. Like, um, people were like, Oh, this is, you know, this, this is nice to have like a visual of what he looks like now. Well then like, <laughs> then he like liked the post, which <laughs> was like, yes. yeah, right. Yeah. But then like, so somebody else had commented on the post and said like, Oh, I hope he sees this. And I'm like, I hope he doesn't because <laughs> this is evidence of what a creeper I am. Like <laughs> not thinking, and like obviously this is my own fault because I tagged him in it. But then like he liked that comment, my comment <laughs> and my post. And so it was just, oh my gosh, it was so embarrassing. It was great. Like that was very nice of him, but it was like really, really embarrassing because like I had so many hashtags and they were all just like horrifically embarrassing hashtags, like hashtag pale is sexy, hashtag abs for days, hashtag <laughs> man's hero. I don't know. It was out of control because I didn't think he would ever like look at it, but he did. And, yeah. <laughs> and he did. And yeah, and he did. So anyway, um, so that happened. So yeah. So like go look up Errol Westerberg, like your life will be better. He's very pretty to look at. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that was like, so that's the thing that I get asked the most. Why Tate is pale. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I get asked about most often is why I chose to write the kind of dark moment that I did for Faker. And I don't want to give anything away. I don't want to like say exactly what it is because I want you guys to like go read the book, obviously. But um but people have said that it's kind of like an unrealistic and possibly unforgivable thing that happens. Like, okay, so the dark moment in um, in a romance is when like the main character and the love interest have some sort of like um, difficult moment and you think and there's like conflict and everything just comes to a head and you think like all hope is lost. They're never going to like work it out and get together because this horrible thing happens. But eventually you know that they're going to because it's a romance and there's going to be a happily ever after and a reconciliation and all that good stuff. But in Faker, so the actual moment, um, without giving away what it is, it is rooted in reality, at least my kind of reality. So this will probably tell you like what an embarrassing person I am, obviously, given like my Instagram mess up before that I've talked about. But... Okay, so I'm one of those people who, like, where I'm in, like, a crowded room or, like, the lighting isn't great and it's, like, a very busy space. And then, I, you know, I see somebody that I know. So, like, I'll run up to them and I'll grab their hand or hug them or something. But then I realize that, oh, this is not the person I know. This is a stranger. And it's so embarrassing. Um, so the dark moment in Faker is, like, that moment. But, like... Mm -hmm. elevated for dramatic effect because it's a fictional story and I want yeah and I want like the fictional stories that I read and write I want them to be dramatic and exciting and a little over the top because honestly I feel like that's fun to read about and really like maybe it's not the most realistic thing and maybe it is unforgivable but I feel like unrealistic things and unforgivable things those are kind of subjective depending on who you are but also like real life is kind of boring like I don't want to read a book about 
boring real life stuff. Like I don't want to read about somebody eating toast for breakfast and like <laughs> going to work and getting eight hours of sleep. Like that's great. You should do all of those things in your real life. But like, that's not a fun story for me to, to read or write. So like, I'm okay with having these moments in a romance, having them be a little bit more over the top, having them be dramatic because like, I know that it's going to be okay in the end. Like I know that whoever messes up, they're going to make it right. They're going to be forgiven. They're going to do something that makes up for the horrible thing that they did. There's going to be like hot makeup sex and there's going to be a happily ever after, you know, like it's going to be okay. Like to me, it's okay to do that in a romance. Well, I think that's really the beauty of the guarantee of the happily ever after trope, um, which of course, Anyone who is a romance fan will defend the trope and anyone who is a critic of it usually says, well, it's unrealistic, etc." But mm-hmm. I think very much our stories are fantasy and they offer you the opportunity to go, especially contemporary romance, maybe, maybe all, but in this almost real life setting, but with the safe guarantee that everything's going to work out and that no matter how dark the moment or how like low things seem to get, part of the beauty of reading a romance novel is knowing that you're going to be okay. You're going to get that hot makeup sex at the end. <laughs> and you're going to go on this journey with these characters who are going to see it through to a beautiful ending, which is something that, of course, everyone wants for their everyday life. So the ability to let go of reality and accept the safety that we as the authors are going to see you there. We're going to make that happen for you. I think that's one of the most fantastic things about the genre that we write in, honestly. So I love that. I think it's great. Yeah. Thank you. I, and like literally everything that you said was perfect. That's exactly how I feel too. That's, that's the whole point of a romance, you know, and and you said it beautifully. That's exactly what I think. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so those so those were my two. Uh, those are great. I love thank, it. Thank you so much. Thank you. You love my horrible, embarrassing life. That I is- have spent time with you. You are the opposite <laughs> of embarrassing. I think these things are amazing, not embarrassing. I love them. I love them all. Oh, thank you. You're so sweet. Okay, so <laughs> your turn. What are a couple instances in your not suitable for work, which I adore and I have reread that book a million times that you pulled from real life? Well, right back at you. Thank you so much. Your support, your feedback has been invaluable in this process for me as well. Um, But yeah, okay, I can talk about that. So not suitable for work is the first book in my Auntie Bell series. Uh, which are all standalone novels, and they are set in my hometown of Nashville, Tennessee. And so in Not Suitable for Work, what we find is that Celeste has come back to Nashville after her fabulous glitzy life in New York City has fallen apart. And so she's trying to rebuild, and she ends up having to compete for the job that would get her life back on track. But unbeknownst to her, her competition is tall, dark, and handsome, and (laughs) just perfect for her. So that's the premise of the book. Um, But yeah, there are some things, it being my hometown of Nashville, there's a lot that's kind of infused in the book, uh, music, family, etc. But there are two things that I I could definitely pull out uh, and talk about specifically. 
Um, one is my favorite thing because uh, to talk about in this, where'd you get that from? Because it makes me laugh every time. Uh, in the dark moments for Celeste, where she's more or less on rock bottom, she goes out for drinks with her colleagues, as one does on a Friday night. And this guy mm. who's been trying to chat her quite a bit throughout the book. I mean, he's just kind of harmless, but he's clearly smitten. Um, mm. He wants to talk to her then. And she's she's not really into anything at this moment. But she sits down at the restaurant and she orders herself her favorite beer, uh, drink combo, which is an IPA beer and a Jameson whiskey. And the guy sitting across from her, he goes, oh, watch out for girls who drink whiskey. And Celeste is like, <laughs> oh, my and God. He goes, oh, it's Sorry. a good thing. Yeah. No, it's OK. He goes, weird don't worry. It's a good thing. I know. It's so weird. But the weirdest part is that is 100 percent autobiographical. That totally happened to me. By a colleague. Don't worry. It's a good thing. Watch out for girls who drink whiskey. I was just like, what? What does yeah. that mean? I have a serious feeling that that is an innuendo statement about my sexual preferences and I'm not touching it, but it's such a weird thing to say. <laughs> I, I totally agree. That is like, like WTF. Why would you say that to your female uh -huh. colleague? What? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. And it's one of those lines that I have to think that when people read it in the book, that some of them are like, oh, that's weird. And it's one yeah. of those things that it's so strange. It had to be true. And it is. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that is like super out of nowhere. Just the, the randomness of things that people say. And you can't do much but laugh or, you know, put it into a romance novel. Um, right. <laughs> right. And then the second thing that I guess I would talk about is this moment where Celeste is out on a date with Ben, her her guy, the hero of the book. Mm -hmm. And they're walking along 2nd Avenue in downtown Nashville. And she is just reminiscing about her teenage years. And she points out the laser tag place where she used to play and the Hooters where her cousin always wanted them to go, but she didn't want any part of that <laughs> because obvious reasons. <laughs> and they walk past this place that used to be a pub had green columns and she says oh market street closed and ben says yeah it's, it closed several years ago this was a brewery slash pub downtown and celeste starts reminiscing about how she and her friends in high school would go downtown and they would play pub trivia in the afternoons until it got to the certain time when it was 21 over and they got kicked out and she just remembers that fondly as a thing from her adolescence in nashville and that also is 100% biographical. So oh. when I was, yeah, when I was in high school, one of the things we would do is cruise downtown and just play pub trivia at Market Street Brewery in the afternoon, eating chicken fingers with honey mustard drink. <laughs> nutrition, uh, hashtag nutrition. But uh, we would do that and we would, you know, think we were so bored and we weren't having any fun. But the truth was we... We were having a good time. So, like, I put that in as, like, an homage to my teenage years. And so it's really special to me. Oh, I, I love that. I think that that is so sweet. Like, Thank you. Yeah, like, I mean, obviously not suitable for work. And the whole Antibel series is, you know, it's they're all set in Nashville. So it's kind of this, like, love song, love letter to your hometown, which I absolutely love. But it's also, like, really cool hearing like these little 
nuggets of like actual real life stuff that you did and that came from like your childhood I think that like that makes the book or the story even more special to me I think that's like very very sweet I love that well, thank you thank you so much yeah so yeah those are those are where I got the that from oh I but, love that uh, thanks Whew. well I don't know that was good for me was it good for you Sarah hell yeah it was good for me Sky. Excellent. Well, that's been episode one of the Quick and Dirty Romance podcast. So if you want to ask us a question about anything we've been talking about in this episode or anything about romance or being a romance author in general, we would love to hear from you. You can feel free to DM either of us or both of us on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at writer sky with an E McD. That's MCD. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at author Sarah S. And if you want to check out our books, they're Not Suitable for Work by Sky McDonald and Faker by Sarah Smith. So thank you so much for listening today. And to close out, I'd like to leave you all with a quote that I saw while I was shopping in downtown Nashville. Darlings, be good. And if you can't be good, be careful. Bye, we'll see you next week.